by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Welcome to N17 Women, the only podcast exclusively covering Tottenham Hotspur women. I am Caroline, and I am here today with my probably equally beleaguered co-hosts. We've got Abby, Rachel, and Sean. How are y'all doing today? Good, thanks. Yeah, uh, long day yesterday for me, but uh, yeah, getting through it. Yeah, man, beleaguered is right. <laughs> yeah, that was the first game that I haven't, the first WSL game this season that I haven't been there to see it in person, and I'm not 100% certain. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. I mean, it was one of those weeks when knowing what the result was likely to be did not make it any less painful for us to experience, whether that was from near or far. And although we went ahead in the first half, the match ended 3-1 in Manchester City's favor, thanks to a Bunny Shaw hat trick. And it is fair to say that Sean won the predictions round from our last episode. So congrats, Sean. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, not sure about how pleased I am about that. Um, But yes, yeah, did, uh, did go the way I thought it might. But you should yep. just be happy that I didn't win because I took 4-1. So I'm feeling happy because my whole <laughs> logic was if I over-under predict, I don't know which way you call it, we'll feel less bad. <laughs> so it was one goal to the good. There you go. I, mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Didn't I tell you that my prediction was just the halftime score? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So unfortunately, this was our eighth WSL loss in a row. But let's rewind and talk about the team selection first. The only rotation that we had to the lineup from the Reading game was that Rosella Ayan started while Esmita Ale dropped to the bench. Beth England was still out with an injury and Shalina Zadorsky was also excluded from the matchday squad, while Evelina Simonen served the last game of her two-match ban. In attack, we played a very fluid sort of 3-4-3 formation with lots of switches happening. And in defense, we usually reverted to a 5-4-1. So we had Tenny Corpella starting in goal, Karis Harrop, Molly Bartrip, and Amy Turner making up the defensive line. Angrad James and Drew Spence were in the midfield duo with Ashley Neville and Celine Bizet in the wingback spots. And then Rosella Ayan, Mana Uwabuchi, and Nikola Karchevska made up the forward line. So what did you guys make of this team selection you know, not a whole lot of rotation. Did we feel good about it going into the game? I mean, it was interesting because although there was only one change, what that meant was, of course, that Celine played further back. And so it was, there was a sort of three-way swap, if you think about it, with Celine playing back where Ismita was and Rosella coming in for where Celine was. Um, and I think what that meant was, I don't think that Ros and... Nikki have the same connection that we saw between Celine and Nikki. And so that changed things a bit. Obviously, there was a choice that potentially Celine would be good in defending against, you know, some very attacking um, wingers. And I think I could see the logic for that as compared to Asmita, perhaps. Um, But yeah, I don't think it was massively surprising. No, pretty uh, pretty much considering what we knew or what Rachel had uh, spied on training and things in terms of injuries, pretty much what you 
you know, the, the players that were available really. We knew we knew that Cho, Cho was available, but coming back from injury, so probably not going to be starting. Um, so yeah, pretty much what we would expect, I think. Um, and uh, I mean, Ros playing more in a wing ro- winger role most of the time rather than up top, although she did kind of do some attacking. Um, I prefer to see her on the wing. So uh, and as we will see, that did bring some joy for us. So um, not all, you know, I think, you know, I mean, but I think as, as we've spoken about, you know, the decimation of our squad with injury at the moment leaves us with not much else to do, really. And I guess it is worth saying here that as Sean was saying, we were kind of playing detective to try and work out who was going to be in and out of the squad. And it feels a bit silly that we're doing that and that we're taking scraps from the manager's press conference where she says things like, there are players, plural, who have come back from international duty with knocks and then checking whether or not Shalina has been seen in any training videos and guessing that maybe she's one of them or, you know, trying to read into whatever she says about Beth coming back or not coming back to work out what kind of injury that might be. It does feel just a little bit unnecessary and We've talked before about what the rationale for this is, but for from the fans' perspective, you know, I don't really want to spend my time trying to work out who's injured. Well, and even if you were using those training videos as some sort of indication of who was going to be available, you know, it was a little misleading, I would say, because Beth England was featured pretty heavily in those training videos and pictures. So I think we were all kind of hoping that she was going to be available after all, and that ended up not being the case. She wasn't even on the bench. Yeah, and it's just like, I feel like it fuels so much negativity because if you look in the comments under our lineups and stuff, you'll see people being like, ugh, like, why would Rhea not even select Beth? And it's like, all right, well, you can't really fault people for assuming that if they're not putting in hours a day towards reading into all the media that the team puts out, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, as what Caroline was saying about the training videos being misleading, you know, you start getting really paranoid and suspicious. And were those training videos really from this week? Were they from a different week? I don't know, because who's in them and what's making sense of them? Again, just I don't want to have this distrust of the clubs, you know, like, I mean, this is meant to be the frothy, fun bits of social media that they put out that engage us, not the stuff that we spend any time analysing. Yeah, it's really not helping the overall mood in the fan base, I would have to say. So, you know, there was this sort of uneasiness, I guess you can say, that carried us through seeing the starting lineup to actually starting the game. And, you know, in the first half, I feel like Manchester City came out pretty strong out of the gate and we had to weather a lot of attacks from them. But for the most part, the defense did pretty well. Um, And we actually able to score first in the 31st minute thanks to an Ash Neville pass out wide to Rosella who crossed the ball into the box and it somehow passed several city defenders and two of our own Spurs attackers right into the path of Celine who was arriving completely unmarked and she put in a really confident shot for her first Spurs goal so how excited were y'all to see Celine finally get on the score sheet yeah, it was pretty good. It, it was pretty good. We sat amongst all the uh, Manchester City fans and uh, were able to celebrate and start to dream that last year's uh, game wasn't a one-off. Um, as, I mean, I think watching, you know, looking at the early attacks from City, they weren't at their best. Um, the shots, uh, certainly in that early period, I thought were fairly tame. Um, so 
you know, we had ridden out the storm, but it wasn't a storm that <laughs> was what City can bring. Uh, so, but great to see Celine. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, the, the the City defenders probably should have cleared that ball because it wasn't a great cross. From I mean, it was you know, it, it kind of bobbled along a little bit, and at least one of them kind of air kicked it. Um, so should have done better but Celine coming in was fantastic and the look on her face and the, the way that she celebrated that goal shows everybody why we love her and why she's already a fan favorite and clearly a player favorite at the club yeah it's been coming hasn't it I feel like the last few weeks we've all been like saying oh yeah and like Celine to score a goal um and even Ash said it when we had her on the pod like she was backing to Celine to score a goal uh, so yeah, that was really nice to see, and it was really sweet how she just like ran over and gave Roz a big hug for that cross. It was like, yeah, it, I I do think that that cross was like it was a pretty lucky one. It had a nice curve on it, but not a whole lot of pace. Um, interesting to see uh, Roz racking up another assist like that, especially against Manchester City. Well, as I say, Roz, if you ask me, is a winger, and she can get some good balls in. We all remember the Rihanna Dean goal um, at West Ham a couple of years ago now, which was a fantastic cross from Roz. So we know she can do it um, and, and great to see her getting that assist. But as I say, I think, um, uh, yeah, well, credit to Celine for the way she took the goal and to Roz for getting the ball in the box. But um, City should have dealt with it better. I mean, I think one interesting thing that I will say is shortly before or after that, the announcer was talking about how City were giving us a lot of space um, in attack. Um, I don't know if it was because they thought we couldn't do much with it, but we've spoken in the past about how Roz can do more when she has more space and that she's not maybe not as good when she doesn't have as much space. So I was wondering if maybe there was a little something of like just a little mental thing going on there uh, with City. The City fans were definitely not happy with the way in which their players were closing us down or not. I mean, I think what you saw was like Alex Greenwood was often one-on-one with Nikki. And so she was almost always being marshaled. Um, she sometimes got away from that. And it was really interesting how she did that. But I think there was a lot less down the wing. So they weren't going, they were keeping their, their sort of like all of their sort of players on the wing quite high. And obviously they were also playing a high line. So, and they caught Spurs, you know, in offsides, maybe three or four times. And so potentially if people were making passes that were breaking those lines, it meant that there was a lot of space because the line was so high. And I think those were the two areas where we saw quite a lot of space, but it wasn't that it was universal because they definitely had put somebody on Nikki or because you saw sometimes even when Nikki was going back into our half, Alex Greenwood would all of a sudden be up there with her. Yeah. And it's something, I think that's a good point. And I think it, the tactical inclusion of Roz makes sense. Um, and it's something like it for that reason, because she can get into space. And I think it's something that we would expect Rianne to do because we've seen her use Roz as like a get in behind player with more of like a hold up striker before, especially last year. Um, and yeah, so I just think tactically it makes sense. Keris was saying in her post-match interview as well, uh, if you listen to Keris talking about how they had talked about the fact that City didn't use the width of the pitch and that that was something that they were purposefully going to be looking at doing. And obviously that's where the goal came from. So, I think this definitely got the most out of Rosella and is why we didn't see a return of the front two that we saw in the last game. 
Because I don't think she would have been as effective as that like second striker role next to Nikki. I was just going to say, you know, again, this is like my every week, you know, Nikki, I love you <laughs> little section. Um, City were pressing really hard when we had the ball. They were pressing everywhere. And there were only a couple of players who were able to escape that. And Nikki was one of them. I think she did a really good job consistently. There was one time when she, I think it might have even been the second half, so I'm probably talking about it too early, but she just turned Alex Greenwood and it was just glorious. She sort of backed into her with a ball and just went around her and left her standing. And that was when she passed she passed Manor into space, but it was offside. So it was one of those many times when there was offside. But I think you saw Nikki really at her best in sort of creating more time when it was really needed. And... I think that's something that Ross does less well. And so it wasn't something that she was succeeding at. But I think many of our players were getting very flustered and making very bad pass choices because of the amount of pressure that they were under. I mean, similarly, I think you were going, you were saying earlier, I think, um, about the poor, you know, the poor shots that City had. And I think part of that is actually credit to our defenders. I think that they weren't getting a lot of space and time. Molly, especially, was a lot of the time on um a bunny sure sometimes but also Keris I thought did a really excellent job covering Chloe Kelly a lot of the time they were pressing them hard and so yes they got crosses into the box and that was you know those were happening but they weren't getting a lot of time to get good shots away um so yeah that wasn't just them playing badly that was actually our defense doing something right and I think it's important to highlight that given that we're often critical of their mistakes yeah no I I mean I think Keris had a best game she's had in in a few matches I thought she did and I think there's an advantage to her playing in the centre-back role which is that she doesn't have to do as much running as she has to do if she's playing on the wing-back role which obviously helps with with the amount of game time she's having at the moment so I did think Harris had a a much better game and Molly had an excellent game and and Tinney had an excellent game as well um it's interesting that you say that you thought City were really um, hounding us because it didn't feel like that in the ground and as I say the City fans around me were really cross at how little they were hound, you know how little they were closing us down so it's it's um it's interesting just the different takes on it from from different places um but yeah from uh, there was a lot of time when it didn't feel in the ground like they were putting as much pressure on us and that's why we had time and why Ros had time and things. I think they were putting a lot of pressure on us in our own half. So we almost never got, I mean, there were whole periods of the game where we barely got the ball out of our half. And that was because they were pressing really high. If we were able to get through the press and some of the things that I was talking about with Nikki, she was doing in our own half close to our box because you needed people. We needed extra bodies there. And I think that's, if you look at, touches like drew made a couple of key passes but she had a pretty bad game and she had she had actually fewer passes than nikki which if you're thinking about it and she's playing a kind of number six role you would expect her to have at least double the sort of passes that a striker has and that wasn't happening at all she was hardly ever getting on the ball her pass was her touch was often you know it was one of those games where she without the time she was getting impatient she was getting frustrated that said, there was a couple of opportunities where she played through balls that were really good. So she had a couple of moments, but the rest of the game, she was often seemed like she was just off the pace. Yeah, and I, I felt like in that central midfield role, Ang Harrod didn't have a great game either. Um, so I think um, we were missing Evelina in there uh, and are looking forward to seeing her come back. But I think that central midfield area, because of the fact probably that City do play centrally and not on the wings, and we were trying to expose that, they probably were overloading us in the middle there, uh, and we weren't quite able to 
to do it, but certainly out on the wings, we had quite a lot of space. So it's it's an interesting one. It seems to be that, that we were aware of that and we took advantage of that for one goal. But obviously, City being City, we weren't able to do it for, for more than that. Yeah, I do agree that it it felt like most of the game was being played in our defensive half for most of that first half. But we contained them pretty well up until right before halftime. Um, we had just seen a really superb save from Tenny, who I thought had a really great game. And for the most part, you know, the goals that we conceded did not have anything to do with her. And she usually could have been player of the match if we ended up getting a result. But unfortunately, just after that huge save that she made, we did concede an equalizer to City. So Chloe Kelly sent a cross into the box and Ash was able to head away the initial effort from Lauren Hemp, but it kind of went right back into the path of Bunny Shaw and she was able to rise up above Karis for the header into the goal. So how did y'all react to that goal coming just before halftime when we had done a pretty good job of limiting them to not very high XG chances before that? I mean, it was the same scoreline at halftime as it was last time I was at the Academy Stadium. So, uh, and that time we won. So it wasn't, I mean, it's disappointing coming at that point. Um, and, you know, we've done such a good job, but you do kind of feel it's inevitable and, and conceding a goal to City is going to happen. It's where you go on from there. And I think it was the start of the second half, which we'll come to, that was the more demoralising aspect. I think it's also the timing, isn't it? And that this isn't the first game where we've conceded a goal right before half time and when we've been ahead or been level. And it did feel like it was that sort of frustrating thing where, yeah, there was a there was a lot of pressure, but if they could have just hung on for that last little moment, and it was pretty much in the last seconds of the last of the one minute of injury time that it happened that it would have just felt very different going in at halftime and made stuff easier when we came out and perhaps not produce this accident we're going to talk about later. And it felt like game management as well. You know, there was a couple of times when Spurs did have possession and this is where you run down the clock and you do stuff to just get yourself to halftime so that you can take a breather and come back into the game. And I don't feel like Spurs are always very clever in games yeah no I I agree with that and as Sean alluded to we did concede a second goal pretty much straight after halftime Ash committed a penalty I, I believe it was on Chloe Kelly who sold it very well I will say but it was definitely a penalty and the penalty was taken and converted by Shaw so at this point she was on a brace so I, I don't think we even need to really talk about how we felt about the second goal because, you know, it was just like a sucker punch, um, you know, losing the the lead that quickly. But we had a good chance to equalize through Rosella off of a Drew through ball, which we talked about earlier. Drew had quite a few of these really high quality passes, um, even if the rest of her game was kind of uneven. But Ellie Roebuck, the city keeper, was able to save that shot from Rosella. And Nikki's follow-up shot was well off target. Any thoughts on that chance? I know you said we couldn't talk about it, but I think we do need to talk about the penalty because it was Go ahead. Really yeah. <laughs> it was a really stupid penalty. I'm sorry. It was 
Ash had control of the ball and then she kind of almost lost concentration and Chloe Kelly, who I think as we said last time, doesn't give up, didn't give up and came back and Ash had her arms around her and grabbed her. And like the only way you could say that isn't a penalty or could even vaguely think about it not being a penalty is if you decided that they were both outside of the area because they were actually like the other side of the line, which is an argument you could try and make if you wanted to, but quite honestly, Everything about it screamed penalty and it screamed, I didn't think you were coming back and now I'm stressed about it. And it just, it was stupid. I don't think this, I mean, Ash made some great clearances, but I think Chloe Kelly, she finds hard to defend. And in some ways, I think Karis did a better job on her this in this game because she was just a little bit more astute about how to manage what Kelly was doing and yeah it was a really stupid penalty it's almost a mirror image of the one that she gave away against Lauren James in the Chelsea game same exact place on the um, pitch and I think it's maybe something to think about in terms of what you do when you're defending somebody who goes past you on the inside you know it's it's bad well and I did upon looking at the replay check to see if they were in fact in bounds. But I, I think it really wouldn't matter because the, the factor at hand is could Kelly still be making a play on the ball if Ash had not fouled her, you know, so that that's why it ended up being a penalty. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to argue it wasn't a penalty. It was a penalty. It, it was a, it was a, a really silly switch off moment I feel like we've seen not not from Ash but just like from various players across like various games like it was just one of those um but also like you you can't be doing that um rough rough timing as well right after the half well I think you're right it's it's another one of those lapses in concentration kind of like we saw in the United game conceding right after the Beth England goal you know, it's it's just that we need to do a better job of staying fully locked in for the entire 90 minutes and not having those temporary lapses. I wonder with Ash, though, that there's not something that's not about a lapse of concentration, but more about her frustration at, at never having got a result against these teams. Because I tell you, the time that we did beat City, um, after the game I went up and, you know, she, of all the players, she appreciated what that meant um because she's been there with us for a number of years she understands the frustration and and that kind of and I I wonder whether there's just a little bit with Ash that is just that she cares too much in those moments that she's just desperate to stop that and we've seen it and we've seen it it happened against Chelsea and it happened against City these are the bigger sides these are the ones that she really wants to get a result against um and and you look you look at the way that she reacted on twitter um and instagram following the game you know apologizing and saying please stick with us kind of thing she understands where the fans are with these big games i think and i i i i'm not sure that it's a lapse in concentration if any i think i i think it could just be that she actually it's just so desperate not she's making the wrong decisions because because of that passion and that's not excusing what she's done, but that's just saying, you know, for the players who've been out there for a long time battling these games and never getting the results, there's a bit more frustration than there is for players who maybe 
either played in other teams and got results or who are new to the team and so don't quite have that same history of getting so close and not quite making it. Because I think I was saying that the lapse of concentration wasn't the foul, but was allowing Chloe Kelly to come back at her when she thought that she was dead, that she thought she had the ball, that she thought she covered it and Kelly came back. And I think it's that was where the sort of switch off came. And then I think you're right. It was the then her trying to make that up. And that's the sort of slightly wild, slightly frustrated, slightly like just that was a bad decision making following the lapse of concentration, which was that let Chloe Kelly in. And the reason I think it's not I think you're right. It's maybe the frustration of these big games, but it's also it's players like Kelly and like Lauren James who do the unexpected who get past you when you think they're dead, who they keep going, who have a second way of doing something that you don't encounter in most other players. And I think they are just that much more complicated, especially when you're doing defending in those tight areas. And so I think it's something around that as well, perhaps. Yeah, maybe something about about how the team work together in those situations, you know, because if you are going to have players like that who, who are going to, who are tricky and who are, you know, some of the best players in the league. Um, you need to be helping each other out maybe more and um and being aware that those kind of things happen if, you know, because they are going to happen. And and I don't, you know, I don't think there are many teams that face City and don't have those moments of, oh, <laughs> where did she go? No, exactly. But then I think it's then it's about what do you do next? So then you say, okay. So it's not all on you. It is about then going, okay, she has got past me. That you can't do anything about it at that point. But you should trust that maybe that there's going to be somebody there to back you up. Um, so, I mean, because that's the, they, they talk, don't, I mean, we have seen Rianne talk about, you know, not put, not blaming and not, uh, and, you know, and backing each other up and being there and saying, okay, I made a mistake, but it's all right because somebody else is going to be there. They, they do need to be there in that situation. Um, and I think maybe... You know, we, you know, there's something to be said for for pushing that, and it's harder against the big teams. It absolutely is, um, but those are those are the places where we need to see, you know, where we need to see it happening. If that, if we're going to be pushing, and I feel like there's an awful lot of negativity in the fan base at the moment. But at the end of the day, this is Manchester City. They are still the top four are still a distance above the rest. And we have to remember that we're not going to make up that time. And I know last season we had such a fantastic season. We were so optimistic for this season, but the reality is that one great season does not make us the fifth team in the Super League. And we were hoping to to, to prove that this season. We haven't done that. Um, And it just shows, I think, still how far everybody else has to go. I guess I was just going to say, though, I do think that our defenders were covering this is something that in the last few games they've been doing. I've been watching, for example, Molly coming out to Keris. You'll see her much playing much wider than she might have previously. And so I think there is much more covering, I think, and backing each other up on the pitch. Um, yeah, so. Just didn't work in this occasion. Well, and I think we had kind of a similar conversation the first time we played City this season and that their forward line, the quality is, is frankly ridiculous. And you do have to give them some credit for just being absolutely superb at their, their roles. You know, Lauren Hemp, there were several times she pulled off a sort of turning move that had me terrified. One of our defenders was going to stick a leg out in a moment of panic and, and commit another penalty. But anyway, I think, you know, we've talked many times about how defense has not been 
our strength this season, but the fact is that we're also not scoring enough goals. So, you know, having like that, that really clear chance for Rosella, I think was kind of a a frustrating moment because we could have equalized and then the whole mood of the game changes in that instant. But shortly after that chance for Raw, she was actually subbed out in the 64th minute and Kit Graham came in. So she got a pretty good run out in this game, her second game back since her injury. What did y'all make of Kit's performance? I mean, she had one chance. She had a few moments where she again kept the ball turned. She played a few one-twos with Nikki that were pretty good. And she had some passing passes from Drew. I think that's, if you look at sort of touches per minute both her and Roz had very few and similarly few um so neither of them were consistently game changers but they both I think actually quite similarly to one each other got on to space I think this was always going to be a hard one for Kit and I think she really she I guess she needs to get the ball more consistently in good areas or in sort of central areas where she can turn and run with it or pass forward. Yeah, I think great for Kit to get some more minutes, but I didn't feel like she had a huge impact on the game. Uh, I didn't feel like I saw as much of her as we saw last week. So, but as Rachel says, that's always going to be the case when you come on in these kind of games and you're coming back from injury, playing the the tougher sides. So, uh, you know, as I say, great to see her getting some more minutes and hopefully that will put her in a much better position for the really big games that we've got coming up. Yes, agreed. Well, Bunny Shaw completed her hat trick in the 83rd minute. There was a moment where Amy was just a little too slow to clear a cross from Lauren Hemp that Shaw got on the end of. And Ash very nearly pulled off a goal line clearance, but couldn't quite keep it out. So, you know, once again, Bunny Shaw has kind of that feeling of inevitability about her at the moment. You know, she's, I think, still league leader for goals. But do you think we could have done anything differently there in the defense? I think that one was more obvious what we could have done, perhaps, because Bunny Shaw, there were both Harris and Amy started in between the ball and Bunny Shaw. And by the time Bunny Shaw got the ball, she had gone past them both and got ball side of them to shoot into an empty goal. And it felt like initially it was Karis who was marking her and then it switched to Amy who was marking her and then she was free and on the other side of them. And I think most of the game, we'd done a really good job of picking up players in the box and marking them. There were a lot of corners, which we defended very well you could see that all of the players had, you know, designated people who they were marking. I think it was only ever Hasegawa who was free at the sort of top of the box when they were taking those corners. And so it felt like they kind of worked out what to do most of the time in terms of who was taking who in the box. And so this seemed like just that one point when it stopped working, which is why it was really obvious what was going wrong. That said, it, one of the reasons I think it might have happened as well is that Molly had gone out to dif- to um, double up on Hemp. And so she then wasn't in the box, like what in the centre of the box, marking Bunny Shaw, which she had done for most of the game. So again, some of it was about who was being pulled out of position. And it's a problem when City have, you know, three very prolific goal scorers, plus a lot of, lot of other people who can score goals. And plus, we're talking 83rd minute here. So we're talking, you know, when the players have been playing for a long time, defending 
pretty well for a lot of the game. So, and there had been a lot of movement, and you could, I mean, throughout the game, it was difficult to tell exactly what the lineup was because people were moving fluidly and not just, you know, between midfield and defence, but from side to side, as we know, players like Ash like to do and things. So, they had they had been working hard up until that point, and we've seen it before where we've been punished late by the by the big teams because just fitness wise, it's it's taken it out of us. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of fitness, we did make a couple more subs towards the end of the game. So Cho Soyeon, who we mentioned was back from her injury, was a pretty late substitute for Drew Spence. Uh, I don't think she had very much impact except for one mishit header. Um, did y'all have any other thoughts on Cho's performance? I believe it marked her 50th WSL appearance. So congratulations right. to her on that. And I think it was Drew's 150th. Am I right in saying that? Um, appearance. So um, so congratulations to both of those on those um, milestones. Um, I don't. Uh, I didn't feel like Cho had a huge impact, but she didn't really have much time to have an impact. So um, again, but good to get to her some minutes and to see that she is back and ready to give us an option. Yes, a player who had even less time to make an impact was Lena Gunning-Williams, who made her WSL debut. She came in just for stoppage time in place of Nikki. So it's always great to see a young player making her debut, but I think she had, what, maybe like two or three touches total, (laughs) but possibly one for the future. According to Footmob app, she had one touch, and quite honestly, I can't actually remember her touch. I was trying to pay attention to see when she touched the ball, and... Whenever it was, it wasn't very memorable. Um, hopefully next time she'll get at least two. You know, she can double it. But I would imagine that she learned quite a lot, even from that short period of time in terms of playing against top opposition, which she had, you know, because before, no disrespect to the team she's played against before, they've largely been championship sides. Um, so this was this would have been a baptism of fire. And I would imagine just trying to track the ball down in that game is... is probably teaching her quite a bit about the the journey that uh, the distance between the teams and things. So um, when you're in a position of, yeah, we're not coming back from this great to give her some minutes, particularly if she's traveled all that way just to kind of go, okay, this is, this is where I've got to get to. Yeah. I've heard that like, it's good for young developing players, especially ones who are really high level um, to get games against opposition who they'll kind of dominate to build that confidence and then have a mix in of they get to play with players who are like way above their levels. So very on board with that in terms of development of a potential young star. And I, for one, cannot wait for the impending Lenaissance. Love it. Yes. So the last significant moment of the game was that Celine very nearly scored a brace with a curling shot that just hit the post. But the game, like I said, ended 3-1. Manchester City got all three points after we had come from a winning position. And that is our eighth loss in the WSL in a row. So it's probably a good time to start transitioning and do talking about our next game, which now has, I feel like, even more importance to it. So we're taking on Liverpool this weekend and they are above Spurs in the table now, eighth place on two more points. However, they have only won one game in their last seven in all competitions. They have conceded fewer goals than Spurs this season in the WSL, however, which I think is pretty significant. 
they might be a team that is, you know, a little more difficult to score on than we might anticipate, kind of similar to how Reading were able to keep us out in our cup game. What are y'all's thoughts about this upcoming matchup? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not really feeling any different to it now. I anticipated the the loss at City. I wasn't expecting anything from that. So it comes to the point where this game and the Leicester game are huge. Um, there, I mean, there's no consistency throughout these lower teams at the moment in terms of who's winning what. We saw at the weekend that, that Reading got a win. It just feels like any, any of teams amongst those kind of lower teams can be beating anybody at the moment. So we've got to be up for this one. We've got to get a we've got to get a win and start to build some uh, distance between us and Leicester and Brighton, who are really the two teams who are most struggling. I mean, I think Leicester are going to, I really do think it's Leicester, if they don't go down, are going to have pulled off quite a achievement this season, the way they are still. Uh, and Brighton is still down there and with their managerial problems at the moment, again, sometimes that leads to a bounce and sometimes that just is... Um, you know, suggest they don't really know what they're doing, and and that gives the gives the players even less confidence and things. So there's still a lot to play for, but we can only do what we can do, which is control our games and win our games. And I know going to Liverpool is not going to be easy. It's our first time at Prenton Park, I think, well, my first time at Prenton Park anyway. It will be. Uh, so it's going to be a difficult. It's going to be a difficult game because Liverpool have got quality, but we can't escape the fact that we need to get three points. Yeah, it's it's um, a must-win game, and it's it would make a big statement coming away with a win after all of this. Uh, a lot of it for me, I'd love to see Beth back even on the bench. That would be huge. What I will say about Brighton is I think there is some data out there that shows that every time you change managers in quick succession, you have less of a bounce. Um, this was around like the last time this came up with like Watford men changed managers like a hundred times a couple years back in very short span. So there is that, uh, my nerves are frazzled and I do not know what to make of Liverpool. Well, that's, that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. I think they made some decent signings. They, I think they signed five new players at Christmas and although they then went on lost, um, 6-0 to Man United straight after that. They've kind of steadied since then and they've lost a bunch of games, but they've been tight. So I feel like they're not in a very dissimilar position to us. If you look at the ways they've been winning, I mean, they've won a one game, which we haven't done. But a lot of their losses have been that kind of tight losses, not doing terribly against some of the um, bigger teams. And they've sort of shored up their midfield. And I mean, they got they got replacements kind of across the field. And so it is absolutely a must win. I think it's interesting that Keris called it a must win in her interview and the post-match interview for the Manchester City game, because it really highlights that awareness now is amongst the team as well as everybody else. And that that is a game in which you cannot come out afterwards and talk about playing well. It's the game that if we don't win, we are 100% in a really bad relegation battle. Even if we win it, we need to go and win the next one against Leicester or at least get points in that one to feel even vaguely safe. So these two games are massive. I think Liverpool are going to be much tougher than we potentially think they're going to be, especially away. 
Um, but at the same time, if Spurs have aspirations to being even a consistently mid-table team, then this is the kind of game that we do really need to be able to win. Whether or not Beth is there, obviously, like Abby, I'm going to feel so much happier if she is on the bench or even happier if she's playing. But I think it's one of those, you know, I think it's we need to work out how to score goals without her. We've done it once now. That's a great start. Uh We've got more goals in us. Drew and Ash scored a lot at the start of the season. They could start scoring again. We know that Nikki can score and so can Celine. And maybe Rose can get a penalty. Well, and we're also going to have the boost of Evelina being back in the squad after her suspension ending. So I feel a lot more confident about us being able to control the game from the midfield than we have been in our recent matches. Just get to say, get a few free kicks for Evelina to take. Um, oh, absolutely. I will say also, I think Evelina being in the side maybe frees up Drew a little bit more to do some of the attacking things we like to see from her. I'll have to keep an eye on that when Evelina returns. Very good point. Well, this game's going to be on Sunday. And if you're not going to the match up in Liverpool, um, you can watch it on the FA player. And hopefully it's not 15 minutes delayed this time. <laughs> you love yeah, of course, always. Do we want to put in our score predictions before we move on? I go two one to us. I'm gonna go two nil to us. I haven't gotten a single one of these. I was also gonna go two nil. Should I change it up just to be fun? I'm gonna say two nil too. So the power of three, I suppose. <laughs> we'll take it. All right. Well, since this game did not take quite as long to recap as last week's. We're going to touch on a couple of listener questions um, that we have unearthed from the mailbag. Just a quick note on that. We're not always able to respond to emails individually just because we're doing this podcast in our free time. Um, But we do try to respond to questions on the pod when there is uh, time allowing. And if you've got a really timely question, such as questions about a specific match, Twitter is definitely the best place to send those in. So let's take a look at these kind of big picture questions. The first one is from David Puckridge, and I have rephrased it just a little bit. He said, given the increased interest and promotion of the WSL, have the FA invested enough in the infrastructure and sports science to keep pace? Postponed games from the winter portion of the schedule have increased fixture congestion, but is the sports science there to ensure the players have enough recovery for multiple games per week? Well, I mean, I think we know that there's not enough investment in in the women's game anywhere, really, and certainly not in terms of the sports science. There's still an awful long way to go in many things. Um, we're still seeing, I think, most of the players wearing boots designed for men, even though we know that boots designed for men don't help female players. We're still seeing ACL injuries by the bucket load and players being out with them for much longer. I know in the men's team, we've got a player out with an ACL and he's not expected to be out for a year. Um, Whereas for a woman, that's kind of what we've been seeing at least a year out. So there's, there's an awful lot to be done. And um, I think there's an awful lot to be done in terms of women and their, their physicality and and things. And not only for the, the science to be done, but then for things to be done actually to, to kind of change the game in relation to that. So uh, I, yeah, I, I think there's still a long way to go. And I think it's low on the list at the moment from the FA's perspective with so much to be done. Um, I mean, we could call for the, you know, the PFA to be to be doing more. Um, you know, they are supposed to be representing players. 
Um, what are they doing to, to increase things in the women's game, to improve things in the women's game? You know, it's not all on the FA to do this, I think. And there's a lot of people who need to do better uh, in the women's game. Um, and yet things are moving so fast, it's difficult, but things are moving and people need to get on board. I mean, I think the scheduling is terrible. It's really bad. If you think about how few games there are to schedule and how badly they are scheduled overall compared to the men's game, there's obviously a problem. And if you look at the research that was done by FIFPRO, which is the International Players Union, they showed it wasn't just overload, but it was overload combined with underload. And it's those, you know, it means that some players get play absolutely massive games other players will play really intense periods followed by really empty periods. And it's that change in it's not. So it's not just playing lots of games. If you play lots of games all the time and you are prepared for them, that can actually be OK. But if you are switching between playing and not playing, if you are traveling a lot because there are so many international breaks and so many people are having to fly really far, not least because the distances um, because of the sort of geography of where players in the women's game play internationally is different from the geography of the men's game. And so it's all of those things and that stuff, you know, the international breaks, the scheduling, that is the FA, it's FIFA, it's all of those other kinds of organisations internationally. And they could look at changing that and improving it, as well as obviously the sports science. And a lot of the stuff around the sports science isn't necessarily the science isn't there. It's just that there isn't enough investment across the board in some of the commercial aspects of it, things like boots. That's commercial, not the science. In some of the stuff around, you know, the implementing all of the clubs having separate standalone, you know, people who work on the nutrition and um, rehabilitation, uh, et cetera, for female players, as opposed to the male players in their squads. I think there's a lot that could be done. And yeah, we should, it isn't, a, it isn't, the amount of injuries that we're seeing is just ridiculous, especially in the Spurs squad. But across the board, there are issues that are being exacerbated by bad decision-making and a lack of investment. Yeah, and it's like a lot of this recent research, um, like a lot of this is centered around ACL tears, but I feel like you could at least extrapolate a little bit to injuries in general. There, There's research going back quite a bit on at least like trying to determine like why do women experience so many ACL tears in the past? It's been thought that maybe it has something to do with the femur angle. Uh, and then more recently, it's been thought maybe it has to do something with hormones um, the, the most recent overviews of research in the area seem to suggest that, like, you can't control in the women's game for things like, you know, people are trying to fit the matches and practices in around full-time jobs and, like, going to school and stuff like that. They're kind of shoehorned it at any old time to accommodate for the men's game. And so I think there's something to be said here uh, for investment at lower levels of the game as well, contributing to some of these health and fitness things like later on in a player's career, because it's just not it's it's not standardized in the way things are run could be harmful. And it's like down to lack of investment. But that's like huge changes that need to happen. <laughs> it's like so overwhelming to think about. Yeah. And I think it's not just like y'all said, investment in the sports science part of it, but going back to the original question, you know, having those postponed games because of the pitches, you know, causes this kind of overload at certain portions of the season. So it's also investment in something as simple as the pitch that you're playing on. So definitely something we want to see improvement on across the board. 
Second question was from Mark Williams, and it's kind of a two-pronged question when it comes to young squad players and their development. So for the purposes of this question, we're just going to limit that to players 21 and younger. So he wanted to know, is it beneficial to send younger players out on loan to lesser sides? So for example, we've seen Esther and Gracie go out on loan to championship teams this season. And he also mentioned a list of players who have played significant minutes as starters in the WSL this season. So that includes Aggie Beaver-Jones, who's on loan from Chelsea, Laura Blinkilda, Ruby Mace, on loan from Man City, Missy Goodwin, Maya Letizia, Lauren James, and Jess Park, who's also on loan from City. And he just wants to know, are our young players significantly less good than these players? Why are they not getting opportunities, I think, is the implied question there. Well, I mean, I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because we don't get to see a lot of those players and you have to go on kind of what happens in training. And those. Uh, and, and it's, it's also not necessarily just about how good that player is. It's about how good that player is versus who else you've got available. Um, so and coming back from injury, we know that Esther Morgan is a great player, but there's quite a bit of competition in in her spot. And she's had a bit of injury. So coming back from that, um, and would you, you know, I guess it depends on the interest. You can't you can't send a player on loan to a club if they're not interested in her. And also we are still talking about Manchester City and Chelsea loaning players out. We're not talking about Aston Villa and Everton learning, loaning players out to other teams in the Super League. So I think we have to assume that probably those players being at those clubs suggests that they are significantly better than our young players because they've been brought into those clubs and then they're being loaned out. Um, I, I I think, you know, loaning out is obviously beneficial to players. They get minutes that they wouldn't otherwise get. They get competitive games that they wouldn't otherwise get. Uh, and uh, this coaching staff can keep an eye on them and assess them and how they're doing. And if they're managed well, it can work really well. Let's all remember Harry Kane. You know, he went an awful lot of loans to an awful lot of places that were not Premier League sites uh, and it didn't do him any harm. So I do think it's beneficial. I do think it's good. And I do think we have to recognise that there is a difference between a young player who's from Chelsea or Manchester City and a young player who's from Spurs, not even necessarily just in how good they are, but in how how they're perceived by other clubs. So uh, I think, yeah, I mean... I don't see that that we've got much option with it, really. I think the way, you know, whilst I would love to see Esther Morgan back in a Spurs shirt playing for Spurs, as I say, there are other people who can play in that position and they can't all play and get minutes. And we're already saying that Asmita isn't getting enough minutes at the club. If Esther was there, she certainly wouldn't be getting the minutes if she's not considered to be above Asmita in the pecking order. So, yeah, I, I, I think it is what it is. I mean, I think we do also have quite a few young players. So, for example, we have Jess, who is 22, and Nikki, who is 23. But we've also got Celine and Asmita, who are both 21. Um, And, you know, some of those players have been at the club and have been playing when they were younger. Uh, Even someone like Evelina has just turned 24. And so if you think about it, we've got relatively large number of quite young players who are perhaps not all at the quality of some of the ones that you've been talking about who've gone out on loan from the big clubs but who we've kept and I think it was interesting in the show we did just before Christmas Abby was talking about 
the fact that she would have loaned out Jess to give her a little bit more experience somewhere else. And I think that's a player who we didn't loan out, who has stayed with the club because she came up with the club and has carried on playing. Obviously, she's had injuries. But it's, I mean, you know, it's a different way of doing it. She hasn't always had those consistent minutes and arguably she would have had more opportunities to play, you know, and in sort of a dominant style if she had been loaned out to a championship side for a while. And instead she's had to play against really tough opposition. Um, Hopefully it's going to come back soon from whatever injury she is currently out with. So I think there's real advantages in putting in players being loaned out and I think this goes back to some of the stuff that Abby was talking about earlier around how do you bring through young players and what are the different things they need because we don't get to see them very often it's hard to know what Gracie or Esther or any of the players who are out on Eleanor who's out as a goalkeeper on loan as well are like we've heard good things and I'm you know Eleanor and Gracie have had you know really positive reports from the clubs that they're in so hopefully they're gonna come back and have another opportunity I have heard less about Esther since she's gone out I think well at Coventry they really liked her and they wanted to keep her but obviously we made the decision that she wanted that we wanted her somewhere else so I don't know how that we haven't heard anything from that but she's only been gone since January to that particular loan so potentially we wouldn't but yeah all three seem to be doing well Gracie obviously had the opportunity to did get a bit of opportunity to play for our first team and did well when she did uh, but again um, in in you know those positions we've got more experienced players and she's the sort of player who wants to be getting minutes. Yeah I do think it it becomes interesting when you have a team like Spurs who are you know in a bit of an injury crisis this season And there are times when you wonder if it would have been beneficial to have a player like Gracie, who the couple of times that we saw her play with the first team, she looked pretty comfortable playing at that level. You know, would it have been good to have her as an option, you know, even just for rotation so that we perhaps would not have as many injuries from overuse um, that we've seen in the squad this year. So it's, it's kind of a fine balance that is really difficult to determine when you're the coaching staff making these decisions. The problem with Gracie is that she was in a position where we actually have too much cover, if anything, and that she was primarily a centre-back. And I know she was being played a little bit at full-back, but at centre-back, we already are saying that we've got four players essentially for two starting spots and all four potential starters. Obviously, sometimes Karis and Amy play at full-back instead, and it looks like Gracie could do the same. But I guess one of the reasons that she went out is because it was a, a an area in which it was expected to not need cover. Yeah, that does make sense. You don't bring a centre back on to freshen up mid game either, do you? Typically not, no. <laughs> but I do think there have been times when some of the older squad members have perhaps not performed at the level that we we would like them to. I'm I'm not going to single out names, but, you know, that includes a couple of newer transfers as well. So it's just a kind of a question of do you want to be giving young players those opportunities or not? So interesting question for sure. And one that I'm sure we will be revisiting when we get closer to preseason for next year and, and have to start thinking about transfers again. Well, thank you for listening to our match recap of the Manchester City game. And we will be back next week to discuss the Liverpool results. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at N17Women. Come on, you Spurs.